Um, okay, welcome everybody. Uh, we're going to go ahead and get started. So, welcome to relational care. Um, so, before we get into um, the teaching today, um, we will go ahead and open up in prayer and then we will get started. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. One or it's coming from next door. Just turn or maybe. Yeah. No, it's coming. It's coming from there. So. Coming we can turn down. Yeah, if we can turn it off. Yeah. We, got it. You get it? Thank you. Thank you. All right, so before we get started, we will, we don't have enough? No, they don't have enough. No. No, uh, one each, I believe. That's a got enough? Okay. I just knew that that room didn't have enough and the last room didn't have okay. enough. All right, so we will welcome to relational care. We'll jump right into what we need to do after we open up in prayer. Okay. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I'm getting those signals from my wife again. You know, those like, um, so, Lord, Father, we just thank you for this day. Uh, we bless you. We thank you uh, for Pastor Ray's message. Lord, we are grateful to be found in Christ this morning. We're glad to be loved by a God that loved us un unconditionally and loves us, um, Father, just uh, radically. Um, and so we thank you for that. We thank you, Jesus, that you came and died on the cross for us and to show us not only your love, but the love of the Father. And so we are grounded and secure in you today. We thank you for this teaching, and uh, we just ask you, um, Lord, to bless it. Lord, we also lift up Ron and Jean, who will not be with us today, and also Anna and Dave. Father, you know where they are. You know what they're doing. We ask you to keep them in your loving arms, in your um, tender security, Lord God, and bestow upon them, Lord God, everything that they have need of for the things that they are dealing with. We thank you that you will restore them to us at the appointed time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so we are continuing on um, in relational wellness, and we are talking about relational needs. And the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about um, self-awareness and vulnerability, right, when we're talking about relational needs and uh, most of you that have been in this class know and we teach from a standpoint that says God is a relational God and he has created us for relationship with him first and then with others so it's very important that we learn how to do relational care well because since we have been created for relational care it would be good if we kind of knew how to do that right so we also talked about uh, a couple weeks ago 
the top 10 relational needs. There are a lot more than 10 relational needs. We talked about the top 10 relational needs. Um, we talked about attention, security. Does anybody know the top 10 relational needs off the top of their head? <laughs> I know so. That's okay. Call out what you Call know. Call out what you know. Approval, comfort, support, respect. respect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. You, uh, who said affection. it? Affection. Okay, mm -hmm. thank you. Affection, yes. Security. Yes, mm -hmm. security came out. Encouragement. Mm -hmm. Encouragement, yes. So they are accept, uh, acceptance, mm -hmm. affection, appreciation, approval, attention, comfort, encouragement, respect, security, support. And they're just 10 out of... There are many, many of them. But the important thing for us to understand is that everybody needs them, right? We all need that. And so we have to learn how to give it, but we also have to learn how to understand it in ourselves. And we've always given the example that if my spouse comes to me and asks me what's going on with me or what I need, if I'm not self-aware, right? I can go, well, I don't know what I need. Well, that leaves my spouse in a place of not being able to care for me and meet the needs that they may be very open and willing to meet. But if I'm not doing the work of self-awareness, which is what this uh, uh, session that we're teaching is, if I'm not doing the work of self-awareness, then I'm doing a disservice not only to myself, but I'm doing a disservice to my to my spouse because as much as my spouse wants to meet my need if I cannot express that or if I'm not in a place to express that there's nothing my spouse can do you know there's no way that they can help me now they can they can maybe if they're also aware of the needs they may come and say well do you need approval right now do you need attention you know and sometimes that helps but again we still are responsible to do the work on ourselves to know where we are at as much as we can, right? So that we can, and that can be spouse, that can be parent to child, that can be friend, that can be coworker, right? So even though we're talking about that from a marital standpoint, we're, we're speaking about it from a relational standpoint. And so the work that we are doing really is relational work that works in any situation. So it can work whether it's husband and wife, but also it can work brother, sister, uh, uh, parent, child, uh, uh, friend, whatever that relational, um, whatever that relationship may be. So for example, in terms of um, parent, child, sometimes even as a child, we don't, when I say child, I just mean somebody who's not yet 25. So, um, <clears throat> and even then, even with my adult children, there are times when we talk and something's going on and it's difficult to have words to be able to identify what's really going on and so there is this journey that we go on together to try to ask questions and gain understanding so we can help our child right be able to maybe put a label on it how many know that that or how many remember that in genesis what was adam's first job that god gave him 
What did he do? Naming the animals. He named the animals. And when you name something, it helps to identify what that thing is. It helps put a, it's a label, but it's a label that carries meaning so you don't have to go through this whole descriptive thing, right, to describe what that thing is and maybe also what its function is. So that's why it's important for us, no matter our age, to try to learn to identify the underlying need, right, relational need, or, and or the, the emotional need that we have. And there are times, even as adults who've been sitting here, right, with us, that are going to go, I don't really even know what I need right now. Because my brain is in, my mind is in such a state that I can't discern. I'm not quiet enough. I haven't rested enough to be able to put my finger on it. So recognize that this is a, a, a journey that we encourage you to go on when you're not in a place of great tension so that it becomes easier for you when you are in a place of great tension to be able to say, I think at the very least, I think it's support that I needed. Or I think what it is is I'm needing you to be more respectful, not because you haven't been respectful in our relationship, but because I'm actually lacking respect at work. It could be that. But recognizing that, oh, I have this need, and oftentimes when I have a need, a relational need, I'm going to draw on the people that are closest to me to help me meet that need. Even though it, it, it doesn't mean that my relationship with Renee is broken down when I come to Renee and I say, you know what, Renee, I just really need, I really need support. And support right now looks like allowing me to have some space. It doesn't mean that Renee has been in my face the whole time. It doesn't mean that Renee has been like, come on, Leona, come on, Leona. It doesn't mean that, it doesn't have to mean anything negative with that person. But there's a safety that I have, right, in my relationship with Renee to be able to say, sis, you know what I'm really needing? Is I'm really needing to just kind of be by myself. And for me, that kind of looks like it's support. It's you supporting me that it's okay for me to kind of just take that time. So the other thing about these labels, these relational needs is that what may be encouragement to you may fall into support for me. So it is fluid. It's not a hard, the definitions are what they are. They, those don't change. But what it looks like for you, Ellen, is, could be complete, completely different than what I would think it would look like. And we have to give each other the room to identify what we think it looks like for us. Because we are not the same. <laughs> we are not, God did not make clones. He did not make Stepford wives. I don't know if anybody here remembers oh, that. <laughs> and I'm talking yeah, about the TV miniseries, you. right? Yeah, you guys had still, the 80s. Still going way back. The 80s party. At, the women had the 80s thing here. And I'm like, I could totally relate to the 70s more so than the 80s for some strange reason. So I remember the Stepford wives. And then they made a movie about it, right, in the 90s. So I don't, I didn't see the movie, but, but just really God didn't make us robots. So having the ability and taking the time to actually identify what's going on with me so I can articulate it with him is really critical because that's my responsibility. 
It's my responsibility. So, so one of the things we'll touch on and then we'll we'll move on is that. Um, oh, Paul, you want to say something? Um, with in in our home, you know, an adult daughter living at home mm-hmm. uh, after being off at school and on her own, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, there were there were boundaries we had to kind of. I don't know, push and shove and, and mm-hmm. pull and that kind of thing, just kind of figure it out. And our girl is, what's the word she likes to be by herself? What's the word? Introvert. In, she's very introvert. She's like energized by alone time with the books, that kind of stuff. Not so much with us, right? And so it took us a while, honestly, to be okay when she got home from work or something and said, I, I'm just going to go in my room and kind of do my thing, you know? She wasn't saying, you guys are ticking me off or mm-hmm. any of that kind of stuff. She, it was her need, and it took us a while to get used to the idea that this is nothing against us, you know? So we're, I don't know, at first, when she first kind of got there, it's like, when did we do this to her? You know, that kind of stuff. And after a while, it's like, no, wait. You know, apply what we learn here. Look at her, she's telling us this has nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm overwhelmed with my day. I need some time. Okay. Took a while. And now it's it's a whole and lot she, more like it's okay. And she's actually learned to tell us, like, just want, even though I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, I have had a bad day. Mm-hmm. I love you guys. I just, I need mm-hmm. some time with myself. Right. Like, sure. That's right. great. Yeah. But, you know, but that's working on it for mm-hmm. this time she's been home with us. Right. You know, we did not understand it. So one of the things that I, I think that, um, and we're not saying this because we're actually involved in the ministry, but relational care will be the hardest thing that you've ever done in your life. <laughs> and it will also be the most important thing that you've done in your life. Okay. We live life, unfortunately, on a superficial level. Mm-hmm. So we we live our lives filling them with, you know, goals and achievements. I'm not saying goals and achievements don't mean anything, but um, there are plenty of people that take their lives every day that have more achievements, more money, more power than any of you will ever have, and we wonder. You know, we look as a society, why did this person take their life? Because they were on the top of the game. Everything that we've been told in life that makes us happy and successful, they had. But yet, no, something was going going on inside of them that life was not worth living. Right? And I don't know, you know, some of it, uh, obviously may have to do with mental illness. Some of it may have to do with deep parts of conflict and depression, okay? But my own assessment, I think a lot of it is, is because we don't learn how to care for one another and we don't learn how to be cared for, right? If I have a safety group where I am really suffering in myself with doubt or fear or anything like that. And I had safe people that I could go to that would love me and encourage me and walk alongside me and cry with me and be in my world, right? Life carries on a lot more value. 
Because I think that what happens for many is that when we build a life that's built on goal and achievement and this, it becomes who I am, not what I do. Okay, and we're going to get into that in just a second. When it becomes who I am and not what I do, when I get to the point of reaching that pinnacle of whatever that is, right? Whether it's athletics, whether it's sports, whether it's been, it's a business world, whenever I reach that, and that has been everything that I've ever dreamt about. And then I get there and now that thing becomes hollow, right? Can you imagine the mental devastation that will cause, I would think that myself that, yeah, I'd want what's left, right? What's left? I spent 40 years, I've spent 60 years learning, scratching, crawling, getting to the pinnacle, getting to be the best of the best, getting to where my dreams and goals are, and now I'm here and there's nothing there. Or I achieve all that and there's everything there, but something happens to disrupt my life, right? And then all of a sudden I judge myself because I have now fallen from that pinnacle. And I judge myself so harshly that I condemn myself. Because that happens too. People who are successful and they think that they've gotten everything, but along the way they've done it all in emotional or relational isolation. They've never connected with anybody really along the way. And something happens to interrupt something in their own lives and they judge themselves. And they judge themselves so harshly that they self-condemn. So we've got people who all of a sudden they're nothing because they are no longer, and I'm thinking specifically of say for example, NFL players who they reach the, the pinnacle, they have an injury, and then because their lives have become what they did have become who they were or what they look like to people at church. Let's bring it down here. What I look like, how people see me, is what I really am. No, it's not. That's not who you really are. Because who you really are is how God sees you. And do you even know how God sees you? Or are you living on an assumption that is based in negativity of how God sees you? And I think that the, the, the biggest thing that happens and where we need to change the culture in the church is that this is a place that you should be able to see me for who I really am. Faults and all, warts and all, right? Because we all got them. I got them. But the thing is, <laughs> we, need to, we need to learn as a people how to create safety so that if I'm having issues, I have brothers around me that I can go to and say, Okay, yeah, I might be a deacon in this church, but I'm struggling with lust right now. I might be a deacon in this church, but I'm struggling with a depression, right? And then we're not going to go, well, I'm going to pray for you, brother, and let's move on to the next. Oh, my gosh. Did you know that Joseph was a deacon in the church? Right. Oh, my goodness. And how could he be just struggling with depression because he's a deacon and he's supposed to be so anointed and, and boy, you know, this, right? Oh, his children having issues. Yeah. Right? Because if the church is really a hospital, the hospital is for the sick. First of all, we got to admit that we're sick. We got to admit that we have some issues. We got to admit that we got pain and trauma, right? And allow 
the Lord to work through our brothers and sisters to help us walk in this journey. So we get real healing, not pseudo healing. And pseudo healing means I come in, I have this nice smile on my face. and I'm like, praise the Lord and everything's great and we're all doing fine. Right. But now I got issues at home with my wife. Right. I'm not I'm not living out what it is I'm supposed to, to, to I'm supposed to live in. And then I don't have brothers and sisters. I can come alongside and say, you know what? Things are bad. I need some help. Things are bad with me. I need some help. And the right. thing about it is um, you talked about being safe, but there also, as, as Pastor preached today, it's also about being in an environment where we can have truth. Exactly. Because as much as, you know, people can come alongside him or come alongside me and tell me, you know, yes, Leland, we support you, we encourage you, you know, we're here for you, we want to create safety for you, they also have to be able to give me truth. Because if there's something, if there's a step that I need to take, it could be as simple as, um, you know, asking me a challenging question that I need to hear because I'm not asking myself those questions because my brain is in some place. My brain is as locked up as my locks. These are locks. These are not braids. <laughs> and uh, you can't easily undo this. To undo these, you have to cut it, cut it, cut it, cut the hair off. Okay. So if my brain is that strangled, right? It means I'm not really thinking in fullness of who I am and whom God created me to be. And that's all we're really saying is that God created each and every one of us for more. Whether we're kids in here, whether we are adults relating to other adults, whether we are relating to our adult children, whether we're relating to our younger children or grandchildren or whatever the case may be, whether we're relating to people in authority at jobs, whether we're relating to people during our commute, you know, that's one of my favorite examples. <laughs> Me and Highway 4. So, yes, yes. So we, um, you have a question, and then we have to go to our next piece. Oh, yeah, just since you already touched on that subject, as far as, you know, folks within the church not going to someone because they don't feel that or, or for safe in that. I mean, do you, do you have an explanation or, or maybe some opinion as to why you think that is? Why, why the majority of people within the church don't go to that safety net or don't expose that moment? I think because um, part of the culture we've built up in the church is that once we become Christ followers, that there are certain things that are not supposed to be named with a Christ follower. And so when we have those issues, then in ourselves, there's a certain amount of shame, right? Because if I would say those things, how would I be judged, right? And then what happens also is when you see somebody who finally gets up the courage to say, there's something going on with me, right? then they are judged by others in the church. Oh, you're a Christ follower. How, why is that happening? Or that's happening, well, what's happening is you don't have enough faith. Or maybe what you need to do is you need to read the Bible more, or you need to pray more, right? And so what happens with that, if that happens to one person in the church, right? And others in the church see that, I would have to be a fool to be the <laughs> next guy that's gonna stand up and say, I just saw my brother just get torn up because he was actually open and vulnerable, right? 
I'd have to be a fool now to come out and say, well, you know what? I got the same issue too, because I'm going to get the same thing he does. And then what happens now if we start like gossiping? Oh, yeah, you hear such and such. Yeah, you know, he's got this issue. So what I'm saying is the culture in the church is flawed and it's broken because it is not what Christ is calling us to. So we have to be, let me finish, we have to be the ones to now change the culture, right? We have to be the ones to be open and vulnerable because here's the thing. If we're all scared in the church, right, then nobody takes the first step out to say, you know what, this may be really dangerous and this may be what happens, but we can't continue to play that, we can't continue to play that game in the church, right? And, risk. and so we have to take, we have to be willing to take the risk. And those of us that understand that, we have to be able to come alongside and be able to, as pastors really been teaching grace and truth. Because part of what happens in the church also is, if that happens, you get a whole lot of truth. Now, what in the Bible is true, but if you take that and now you use it to hit me over the head and condemn me with it, right? That doesn't help anything. Because here's the reality. If I was angry and bitter and I had trauma before Christ, right? Now, positionally, I'm a new creation, but guess what? Not all that stuff disappeared the day after. Well, your spirit is born again, but not exactly. your soul. <laughs> and so those things are still impacting me. And so the sanctification process, becoming more like Christ, is this process that we go through and we are allowing Christ to be able to deal with our hurts, deal with our trauma, deal with our pain, as we learn to, by the Holy Spirit, become more like Christ. That's a that's an ongoing process for the rest of your life. But somehow or another, we come to the church and we miss that. We talk about sanctification, but we don't do the practicality of sanctification. And the practicality is we all get in this room like this and we talk and we come alongside. We learn how to use relational care to love each other, to come along each other. Uh, aside each other and speak grace and truth because here's the thing if my brother's going in error right I'm not I can give him truth I can show him the word where what he's doing is going to cause he's sinning and that's going to cause him destruction right I can come on the other side and say well you know what brother grace is there for everybody so don't worry about it you just keep on going right so now I've either given him hard grace I mean, hard truth, or I've given him really soft grace, but I haven't given him grace and truth. I haven't said, you know what, brother, I know that you're having this problem, right, with your family or whatever, and I'm going to walk alongside you and be your brother, but I'm also going to tell you the truth. That thing that you're doing, right, is causing sin in your family, is going to destroy your relationship with your wife, is going to destroy the relationship with your children if you don't correct it, right? That's grace and truth. I'm going to walk alongside him. I'm going to be there. I'm going to listen to him, right? I'm going to walk alongside him, right? But I'm also, but I'm also going to, as his brother in Christ, I'm also going to be accountable, and I'm also going to lead him in truth, right? And as he's leading his brother or his sister in truth, he's also being sanctified. We think sanctification is like just, I've got an issue, so I'm being sanctified. No, 
when we bring it out into the body, whatever that body is, I'm not saying get up on the platform and tell the whole church, but there's got to be two or three people that you can actually open up to. When we do that, we are bringing sanctification and its process into that body. Mm -hmm. And together we're being sanctified. So every time I'm tempted to judge him or her, don't you think, because he stood up there and he said, I've got an issue with whatever, fill in the blank. Don't you think that God is dealing with me every time I get tempted to think, I can't believe. So God is working on him and his issues, right? While I'm walking alongside of him. Meanwhile, God is working on me, purifying my heart as well. It's a body thing. We don't go, we don't, yeah, we, that's, exactly. Renee said it, you hurt and I'm hurting. And maybe where you're hurting is exposing something in me that I never even knew was there. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, so-and-so lost their job because they, 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 they snapped. I don't know what's going on with them. They snapped, they lost their job, and they got laid off. And now they don't have a home. Well, that begins to expose my own inadequacies in terms of how I judge people who are homeless. And God starts dealing with me. So when we think of us going through stuff, we have to remember we are part of a body. Mm -hmm. And like Joe said, if it's some sin that has to be quote unquote corrected, the brother or the sisters walking alongside each other are there to not only bring grace Mm -hmm. and truth, but to also be healed. Mm -hmm. There's a healing that happens in that, that we deprive ourselves of Mm -hmm. because we're doing, I can do by myself, which is what my grandson would say because he's a toddler. (laughs) I can do by myself. (laughs) And you put the left shoe on the right foot, but I can do by myself. And and in that, we're not living the way God intended us to live. And it's gonna hurt. You got that right. It is certainly gonna hurt. And I'll bring this up and then we'll move on. It's interesting, uh, I used to be, part of a worship team a long time ago and we used to sing this song that Jesus is all I need <laughs> right and it sounded so good and it sounded so, so spiritual so right good. and it's the biggest lie that yep. now I realize it's out there because uh-huh. you know what yes we need Jesus we need Jesus more than but you know what Jesus created us to need each other because again when God created, and think about this, when God created everything, he said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. Before sin ever entered the world, he saw Adam standing there by himself, and he said, it is not good for him to be alone. Now, recognize this. This is, this is a human being that has direct relationship with the creator of the universe. You would think, whoa, wait a minute, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You are, you are, I mean, God is right in front of you. And that God is saying that it's not good for him to be alone. But so what is he saying? God's spirit, I've created a human being. This human being has to have another human being, right? To complete him, to connect him. That's why relational care is so important because God saw it so important that this man could not be alone. He has to have another human being to be with him, right? So we're going to read this uh, wonderful handout because, as you know, last week um, 
we, we started covering um, acceptance and encouragement, right? This was, um, this was really interesting because I'm, I'm, I'm on staff here at the church and John Jackson did our staff devotions this week and he shared this. Um, and it was just really amazing to me. So um, I'm not supposed to call people out to read, but I apologize. Would you mind reading this? Victoria. Oh, yeah, Thank sure. you, Victoria. Read it nice and loud. Sure. Thank you. The focus. Okay, just start from the beginning? Yeah, the focus on character. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> okay. Focus on character. You're a human being, not a human doing. What am I praising my kids for? Is it for what they do or for who they are? That is a question I constantly ask myself while trying to build confidence in Bauer and Reese. For kids at ages 10 and 12, I want them to know I absolutely love being their dad and I always accept them, even when they fail. The easiest thing to do is default to praise, praising their accomplishments. Oh, what kind of Do you want me to take over? No, no, I'm good. Okay. I'm good. <laughs> I mean, it comes naturally, right? When Bauer does well at basketball, it's the normal thing to say, great shot. When Reese gets a good test score, I'm used to telling her, I'm so proud of that good grade. But focusing on the accomplishment itself doesn't tell them we're proud of them. It tells them we're proud of what they did. Reese has always been a good speller. A highlight of her school year is the annual spelling bee. She studies for the weeks leading up to it and works super hard to get the words right. I remember doing the same thing when I was 10. The only difference between her and I she gets the words right. She has typically finished well in the B, and a good friend hilariously joked to me recently, you know, Reese is like the Tom Brady of the spelling bee. She's already won enough, and she should just be done now. <laughs> Going into this year's B, she practiced and prepared as usual. The B came, and it was really fun. All the kids were so brave and confident. They were spelling words you wouldn't imagine, all in front of a pretty big audience. Finally, after a tense spelling battle, Reese misspelled a word. She was out. An awesome girl from her class won the beat. That sweet girl also worked very hard, studied the words, and been excited and ready for the competition. When the competition was over, I knew that Reese would be disappointed. I went up to her, gave her a hug, and told her this. Reese, I'm proud of your courage in front of all those people. I'm proud of how hard you worked. I'm proud of how brave you were to take that on. I focused on her character, not on what she had done. This, the year before this, she had won the spelling. Afterward, I saw her and said something like this. Reese, I'm proud of your courage in front of all those people. I'm proud of how hard you worked. I'm proud of how brave you were to take that on. I was not proud that she had won. I was proud of what she had done to get there. Effort, hard work, determination. The best part about focusing on character rather than accomplishments is that it's something our kids can control and repeat in the future. They can't control if they always win, get an A plus, or finish in the first place. Finish in first place. However, they can always be strong, brave, honest, loyal, courageous, trustworthy, and kind. These traits will get them somewhere in life and will also result in great rewards. Those traits are what I praise. The truth, is, the truth is that there will be times when our kids finish last or don't win. So what do we praise then? Instead of giving them a 
Great job, honey. That they know is that they know is obligatory. We can build up the person that they are and are still becoming. They aren't appreciated because they win something or finish in a certain position. They are loved and accepted because they are a human being, not a human doing. When they know this from us as their parents, they can focus on building strong character rather than doing things to win. Then great results will naturally follow. Each one of us is a human being, not a human doing. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. So when I when I heard that, I heard, I don't know, several relational needs just being met and being addressed even in the writing of it. I don't know if you can hear those relational needs. And not just in terms of, you know, dealing with our children or dealing with our grandchildren or nieces and nephews, but dealing with each other. Dealing with, you know, mates, husband and wife, boyfriend and girlfriend. Dealing with siblings. Sometimes that's the hardest, dealing with siblings or dealing with family, you know? Dealing with parents, exactly. Calling out the gold in the person and not focusing so much on what they actually do. Because when God went looking for Adam, he didn't say, Adam, what have you done? You did wrong. You did not listen to me, Adam. What did he say to Adam? He tried to call Adam forth to give Adam the opportunity to share what was on Adam's heart. Do we give each other that room with safety or do we just immediately? And that's a reaction. We, we all can admit, including myself, I'm not standing here telling you that, oh, I've arrived and you know I do fantastically well in every relational area of my life. No, there are times when I react and I just am like, what'd you do? Why'd you do that? But is that what God is calling me to? Is he calling me to create space? Is he calling me to be encouraging? Is he calling me to bring comfort? Is he calling, calling me to bring grace with truth, not just truth and not just a reaction? I want you guys to think about that. I want you guys to think about another story we're going to read. Oh, just... What? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about our conversation this morning about the peninsula. I mean, the, the island. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. About grace and truth. Go ahead. Share it. Share it. I got a lot of truth, no grace. <laughs> Just this morning. <laughs> Just this morning. No, I won't share that. Um, but it's, it's funny. Um, you know, but the thing I see in this is this is so God. Right? This is so God. God accepts us for who we are, not what we do. Right? But again, in the church, we're so connected on, if I don't do this, God won't accept me. God, if, I don't, if I don't do it this way, God won't accept me. So have any of you read a book called The Cure? I know some of you have read it. Okay. I would go online and I would get the book called The Cure. And it's just that, that The Cure. It's not the uh, progressive rock band from the 80s. You might get that, but it's actually a book <laughs> called The Cure. And the reason why that is so important is 
we really need to get down in our spirit that on your best day or your worst day, God still loves you the same. God doesn't love you because God's love for you is not performance-based. It's because you are his child. Right? And you're going to have to work through a whole lot of junk to get there. Trust me. To accept that. That's what he means by to get there. That's what, that's what I mean. Because mm-hmm. whether we realize it or not, um, you know, some of the work that, that we've done in some of the other classes we've been learning is that the functions that go on in your brain, 90 to 95% of the functions that go on in your brain run on a subconscious level. Right? So those lies that may have been, that you took and you believe about yourself in terms of you may not be worthy or I'm not good enough or people said that I wasn't pretty enough or people said that I didn't work hard enough in school, whether you realize it or not, right? Those got implanted into your limbic system and I don't have a chance to go through the whole brain system. But what I'm saying is many times at a subconscious level, we speak to ourselves anywhere from 300 to 1,000 words a minute. And on a subconscious level, many times, those things that have been implanted to us by teachers, by parents, by siblings, by kids on the school, school ground, those things have been implanted in us and they are running on a subconscious level. You're not even aware of it, right? But what it starts doing is it starts, it starts shaping your belief system, right? So you start believing things about yourselves that people have said to you that you're not even realizing that that's part of your belief system, right? Your belief system now dictates your behavior, right? So now you start doing stuff that you're like, well, why do, why do I do that? Why can I get over that? What I'm saying to you is that there's stuff running on a subconscious level that you're not aware of. And I just bring that there because in order to start breaking that, right, you have to start realizing, number one, what is it that I really think about myself? And number two, you have to start breaking those belief structures, right? Because the only person, and we said this before, and you can write this down, the only person that has the right the only person that has the right to dictate who you are is the one that created you. You don't even have the right to dictate who you are. So what does that mean? That means that God, the person that created you, is the only one to dictate who you are. And when he says you're loved, when he says you're valued, when he says you're appreciated, look at the cross. And you're approved of. And you're approved of, you're accepted, all those things, right? And you have to use that to begin to break down the subconscious things that you are saying about yourself, right? That's, that's the only way that's gonna change. It's hard work, but if we don't, we continue to live the rest of our lives living on lives that were told us that are now running at a subconscious level that dictate everything that goes on in our life. So I remember one line from this morning's message Love does not take shortcuts. And it's, it's, a, it's a hard work. It's a long work. But if we don't want to do the work, that means we're taking the shortcut. Because we're wanting to live on the things that have been planted in our minds and in our hearts for a long time and not uproot them. And, and the reality is you will never 
live the abundant life that Jesus calls mm-hmm. you to live if you don't do that work. Mm-hmm. An amazing that's the, thing. <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. that's the truth. Yeah. You know, we have we have to do that work. You know, we can't get healed of stuff that we don't even know that we need healing from. Yeah. But even if we just know we need healing, God can start with that. Yep. When, we have a desire to be healed. When uh, Mary came to the grave site and she ran into Rabboni, Jesus, he said, go tell the disciples and Peter. And Peter. So if you know the story of what led up to that, you know that Peter had denied God himself. But God still approved of Peter. He didn't approve of what he did but he still approved of Peter. And his calling was without repentance. But what Peter had to do was he had to overcome this stuff and receive the truth about who he calls him. Not what anybody, I mean, imagine Peter, we're talking about in the body of Christ based on Ted's question. Imagine Peter coming into the room of the disciples and they all know he denied Jesus. Can you imagine what he must have felt like, what he had to overcome to be able to be with those men who, in his purview, had not run away? Man, they all ran away. You know, the Bible mm-hmm. said that. And there was really only one that didn't, which was John. But they had done it without having to open up their mouths and also declare that they did not yeah, know because him. he was the only one that did it publicly. Exactly. Even though the rest of them ran, he was the only one that did it publicly. So now everybody and their brother know that Peter denied Jesus. The other guys just snuck up, snuck off. But everybody knows, mm-hmm. right? The Pharisees, everybody that was there knows that he denied him. And Jesus did a beautiful thing because he says, and Peter, right? If you want a picture, a beautiful picture of relational care is right there. Because it's like, you know what? You denied me at the time I need you the most. At the same time, right? Peter, I love you. I understand you are still part of me. You are still part of me, even in that. So we're going to read you a story about um, another situation that has to do with relational care. Um, And it's about David uh, Ferguson's grandfather. He says, one of my first encounters with the caring initiative of acceptance was through my grandfather. This is a, I'm just going to tell you as a parent, this is, this, I had to kind of really check myself as I listened to this story. So just be prepared. I experienced a lot of trouble and rebellion growing up. Teresa and I were married in rebellion at 16. And my most valued possession at that time was a car, a racing car that could do at least 160 miles per hour on the open road. Audubon, here I come. I got six speeding tickets the first six months of my marriage, and I was about to lose my driver's license. This did not impress my father, a retired Marine drill instructor. In the midst of this family turmoil over my behavior, grandfather, sought me out. He didn't come giving lectures or punishment. Instead, I remember his saying, David, I hear you're about to lose your license. I've come up with a plan. 
Now, if you are a 16-year-old rebel, somebody comes up with a plan to outsmart the popo, you're thinking, <laughs> this is going to be good. He said, I think the problem is that the police know this car of yours, and every time they see this car leave this house, they just radio ahead and tell the other policemen to watch for you on that 30-mile stretch you drive to get to college. So I think you need to quit driving your car and start driving my truck. That way, they won't know it's you. Tomorrow, why don't you drive my truck to school? And they won't know it's you. The next morning, I got in his truck and headed off to college. As soon as I got to the highway, I tried to make the truck go fast. That's when I realized that my grandfather knew something about the truck that he hadn't told me. That truck wouldn't go over the speed limit. <laughs> and I didn't get angry. I got a smile on my face thinking, my granddad knew this. My grandfather's acceptance in the face of my bad choices bonded us with a special relationship. That is some out-of-the-box, dynamite, grandpa kind of thinking. Because I'll tell you, as a parent, yeah, was, I haven't grown that part of the brain. a whole lot different. <laughs> Somebody had been catching the bus to college, and that car would have been parked in the garage. Yeah. It's just, it's a wonderful, wonderful picture. Now, yeah, you think about it, maybe you wouldn't do it exactly that way for your kid or in your relationship, but at the same time, the picture of accepting and not, not bringing all the attention to the one thing that he wanted the attention to be on is how rebellious he was. So how does God deal with us? The Bible says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. I mean, let's face it. I'm sorry, you guys. Does that make sense? Yes. It doesn't make sense to me. Oh, well. No, I'm, I'm glad it's I've experienced it. But... it, it just, I've experienced it too, but it does not make rational sense to me. No. Go ahead. But I've seen it work because it, I was not that parent growing up. I was, not, I was judgmental. I was that you're going to park that and you're going to do what I tell you because I rule this house and da 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 da. And I've had to fix those relationships. And I've walked through a few things with my children when God has told me, you need to shut your mouth. <laughs> and it's not about not giving them the truth. Exactly. Because if I'm asked, mm -hmm. I can exactly. share my opinion. Say that again. If, I'm... if I am asked mm -hmm. by my children, then I can share my opinion or mm -hmm. that truth, mm -hmm. right? And the more I shut my mouth, the more I am asked. But when I was judgmental, when I was not, when I was calling yeah. them out for what they were doing and not for who they are, I was not asked. And my relationships were not good. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was the wisdom of David's grandfather, because what he realized was because the child was rebellious, right, the more authority comes, that is get put on him, the more rebellious he gets. And so 
he came up with a with a brilliant way, a beautiful way, a, a beautiful way to get to get him to understand what was going on. I think that also. Um, I love the way that God really deals with us because whether we realize it or not, every decision that we make have, has consequences, right? Whether good consequences or bad consequences. And God many times in his word says, you know, and Pastor preached it today, God lays out a, a, a set of boundaries, right? Not because he's his God up in heaven and he's holding his hammer and because I'm God and you're not. You're going to follow these boundaries, right? But he's doing it because he knows what's best for us and what will make us the happiest in the long run, right? But when we don't do those things, we suffer the consequences of our actions. Because I tell you this, there's no greater lesson learned than when you learn something by the consequences of your own action. Because, Victoria, I remember the same thing like with my son. You know, my son got to a point where he was rebellious, and the more that I I put the hammer down, the more he was just like, and the Lord got a hold of me one day, and he said, you know what? He said, you've instilled in him to this point everything that you have needed to instill in him. But he's going to have to come his own way. See, because I had a way that I thought my children should go to get to God. And that day, God said that just like you had to come your own way, your children have to come their own way. So what you need to do is you need to pray for them. You need to give them advice when they ask, right? But the greatest lesson, unfortunately, and this is where the most painful part of being a parent is, because many times you see that you see the child making a decision that you know what the consequence of that decision is going to be. But they're in a rebellious state to the point that they're not going to listen to you. But you know where that's going to end up, right? So God says, get on your knees, wear out the space on the carpet next to your bed, pray for them, right? And they go through it, and you see them suffering through it, and you knew what was going to happen, and you have to walk alongside that child in grace and truth, right? Praying all the time your guts out that this child one day is going to say, the light's gonna come on and say, you know what? The reason that I am where I'm at is because of my own choices. And that's a huge revelation. When anybody gets to that point, that the reason why I'm where I'm at is because of my own choices, not because of my parents, not because of my wife's, not because of my husband's, not because of society, not because of the government, not because of my neighbor, but because I made that choice and now I'm suffering the consequence of that choice, right? That's a loving father because guess what? I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And when you come to that and say, oh God, Lord have mercy, if I would have seen that I wouldn't have lost my wife. I wouldn't have lost my husband. I wouldn't have lost my business. I wouldn't have lost my best friend. Right? And God says, you know what? Son, I know. It's okay. It's okay. You know? And we grieve and we cry and all that. And he's like, you know what? Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans. And sometimes we get to a point where 
We look around and there's devastation. All we can see from our own choices, right? Family gone, children gone, parents gone, everything. But God says, I know the plans, right? Plans to give you, not to harm you, but to give you a future. Because the harm doesn't come from him. The harm comes from us and our bad choices. And he's saying, hey, look, from the very beginning, I never had any I never had any intentions of harming you at all. Right? You know, we, we talk about God sends people to hell. God has never sent one person to hell. Never has, never will. Right? And people go, oh, well, you know, that's what's preached. I don't care what's preached. You read that word for yourself, there's not one person God ever sent to hell. People go because they make their own choice. It's the same thing like in heaven. Nobody gets drugged to heaven. Oh God, I got to spend eternity in paradise. I can't believe I can't believe that God's going to make me do that. I really can't. Right? No. People are in heaven because they want to be there. They want to see the face of God. They want to be in paradise with God forever. And so that's why the Bible says, "Hey, keep going. Keep going. Don't stop. Don't turn back." Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Keep going. Right? That's why Satan fell. You understand? Everybody's in heaven because of their choice. They're not there because they had to. So if that's the case, Satan wouldn't have been able to fail. And he wouldn't have been able to take a third of the angels with him. Because at some point, they decide, you know what? This heaven thing is really cool, but we want our own space. We want our own place. You want to do our own thing. God says, okay, that's your choice. If you don't want to be here, you can be anywhere you want to. Here you go. Right? And they left. I think the, <laughs> the, the thing that, that we are being called to is to become people who relate more than people who react. Yeah. And that's a growing thing. We're not, like as we said, you know, we're not always going to do it right. Right? We're not always going to do it well, is really what I mean, okay? We are going to stumble at times, but we need to be having a desire to be that because that's who God has called us to be, and that's who He is to us. He relates to us. He relates to us. He doesn't react. I mean, if He reacted, none of us would be here, including us. <laughs> We'd be dust already. And the other thing is that we need to be persistent in our evaluation, especially when judgment wants to come. Mm -hmm. When we catch ourselves being judged, ask ourselves, okay, what is the need behind the deed? Yeah. Even for ourselves, when we do stuff and then we recognize that wasn't, that was not Jesus in me. That was me. What am I needing? What am I really needing? What is the emotional or relational need that I have? What am I experiencing? Ask Jesus to show you. Jesus, what am I really feeling right now? What am I struggling with? Because I just kicked the can, right? And I normally wouldn't kick the can. I bend down, pick it up and throw it in the garbage, but I just kicked it. But I, I'm frustrated, but I don't know what really is going on or why. Ask Jesus to show you. And then do the same for the person in mm -hmm. your life. Yeah. 
ask the Lord to show you what the need might be because you're not the ultimate definer of what the other person is going through. <laughs> so we all have junior Holy Spirits. I know there's the joke in the church that wives are junior Holy Spirits, but we all have junior Holy Spirits in us. Yeah, and no, we, we need to give the individual going through something the room to identify and articulate as best as they can what they believe the need is, but then you can also listen to Jesus together. You literally can both listen to Jesus together by just saying, hey, how about we ask Jesus together and I'll share with you what I'm getting and you share with me what you're getting about what he's saying might be your need. Now, obviously, I don't get to overwrite his definition, but I would hope that if he's growing in sanctification, he would have an ear to hear what comes forth from me because I'm putting it out there on the table and I'm, I'm, I'm believing what Jesus, what I believe Jesus is bringing. At the end of the day, it's about prayer. It's about asking Jesus to check us and then getting on the same bandwagon with the Lord. So here's... Okay. Uh, I just want to before we end it, I just mm -hmm. wanted to appreciate what Paul was saying about his daughter. Mm-hmm. Being, being, right? mm -hmm. being an introvert. My daughter's an introvert. But okay. I found an ironic fact it's the opposite. It's like she's shut out from the world. So when she comes home from college, she wants to come mm -hmm. because that's a place that she feels comfortable mm -hmm. with. So it's a place of safety. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and, and sometimes like she's calling me from college and she'll say, can you help me with my paper? Well, I know she doesn't want my help because I'm not the best. Mm -hmm. writing paper, but she just wants to talk. Yeah, and she wants to on connect. The phone yeah. all the time, and now mm -hmm. she's FaceTiming more. Mm -hmm. And then when she comes home for college during the summer, she's in my room all the time and, mm -hmm. wants, and wants to be around yeah. me. Yeah. So when you shared that, it made me appreciate that more. Mm -hmm. You know, that yeah. that's her way mm -hmm. of saying, that's you wonderful. know what, I can't communicate to the world but I can with you, and you're the place, safe place yeah, that safe place that I can. Yeah, that's, that's so thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Now yeah. I won't rush her away yeah. all the time. You maybe help me look at it from a different perspective. Yeah, that's true. Through my wounds, my laziness, my selfishness, I'm not just talking words of death. This is mm -hmm. my, mm -hmm. my past. Um, and my future hopefully anyway um, I raised my son somewhat to the best I could mm -hmm. he had to go out and experience his own things like you guys were just talking mm -hmm. about I tried to teach him my experience with drug abuse mm -hmm. he had to figure that out for himself he went through a time um, uh, when he was he's 32 now when he was I don't know, was he 25 26 years old we're sitting there in our spot on our couch watching our boob tube and a text comes across the phone my son saying dad i get what you were trying to teach me and i so appreciate it and you know thank you so much i love you so much and it's like wow mm -hmm. you know that that's not that's not this success story mm -hmm. this is in spite of this mm -hmm. he got it things switched mm -hmm. um in October I get to officiate his wedding um, it's you know and so it's it makes me think about 
either when he had that aha moment mm -hmm. or that come to Jesus moment or, or when we do mm -hmm. this daddy that is so much more capable of love than we can even imagine mm -hmm. what wells up with him yeah. when we go ooh I get it I did it my way now I'm going to do it yours yeah. Well, that's how he lets us get there. Yes. He doesn't push us. He just he just waits and still loves us and he lets us get there and when we do, he's thrilled. Yeah. But he, he just lets us get there. And here's the other thing that he was saying to you. In all your doubt, in all your misgivings, in all your perceived failures in terms of how you raised your son, right? Actual failures. <laughs> Put that out there. Yeah. yeah. But no, actual failures, failures too, because yeah. we have that, mm -hmm. right? The one that says, he who began the good work shall be, shall complete it. And so he's letting you know that in all that you perceive, you still did a good job because the things that you implanted in him right was what came back right so in your own limbic place right you may have thought one thing about yourself but god downloaded to you that the reality is it was another right didn't mean you didn't do it without god but it meant that when you had the choices when you had to make the choices to lead him in the way that he should go you did right and that's a huge win. That's a huge win. There were some really hard times. Oh, yeah. He asked me for help. Uh, he wasn't living at home. Mm -hmm. uh, his car started leaking fluids. Mm -hmm. And he said, Dad, I, I need some help. And I was leaving town. I was able to transfer money into his bank. And I said, take it to my old job, mm -hmm. old mechanic shop. Mm -hmm. They're either going to bypass the heater core or replace a heater hose. Mm -hmm. Do not overheat that engine. Get it fixed tomorrow. He used the money for something else and called me a month or two later and said, there's all this white smoke coming out of the exhaust. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, yeah. son, you're a pedestrian. It was, I'm sure, yeah. it was, yeah. it was yeah. about a year. Yeah. He came yeah. and resurrected yeah. his bicycle yeah. from the yeah. backyard for yeah. a year, yeah. going from almost Clayton mm -hmm. into Walnut Creek to work. Sun, shine, rain. rain. But, but the interesting yeah. thing about that is... I never really understood the heart of the father until I became a father. Because there are some times when I prayed to the Lord for some things and the Lord didn't answer that question and he had me walk a hard road. Yeah. Right? He had me walk that hard road and it wasn't because he was a mean God. He was a loving God and the scripture says, right, that he disciplines those that he loves. Right? Because it says after a while, right, there is a harvest that, of righteousness that is raised up to those that have been trained by it. But if we don't go through those hard times, we don't get the harvest of the righteousness, right? So he is just an awesome, awesome father. And we want to end with this is that now that you know what you know, you're responsible to use it, right? And you are going to be, many people you come in contact with don't know anything about relational needs, right? They have, they're not in touch. So in this idea of relate and don't react, 
begin to train yourselves when you see things that are going on with people in your in your uh, circle. Ask them. Ask yourself, Lord, show me the the need behind the deed, right? So that you can begin to come become somebody who now gives relational care. Because here's it the thing: the people in your sphere of influence, if they don't ever see anybody model relational care. They won't ever get the opportunity to enter into relational care, right? So all of you now have been deputized okay. as people that go out and show relational care, right? Because as you model it and people see how you react, they can in turn be people of relational care also. And I just, I wanted to say one thing that occurred to me when I asked this question that one of the other things that keeps us from being that for the people is when we have an issue we're dealing with, we believe the lie that the enemy tells us that we're the only one dealing with this. These other people have got it together and they're living a godly life and you're not so you. You believe it and you isolate because you're afraid. It, it is. And it's, you know, it's up to us to start dispelling the lie. And we dispel the lie by being people that are honest and truthful, right? So, Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your spirit. Lord, we thank you. Um, we just thank you for what a God you are. My goodness. Just uh, the grace, the love, the mercy. Lord, even the, the, the hard the hard work. The places, Lord, where you have to let us um, fall, Lord, so that we learn the lessons. But you say you never leave us nor forsake us. So, Lord, in those hard times on our worst day, when we've seen like we've let you down, we've let everyone around us down. Lord, you are always there to say, you know what, my son, my daughter, uh, I love you with an everlasting love. And I'm going to walk through this with you, not judging us, not condemning us but walking through and giving us that grace. Lord, that grace is not only unmerited favor, but empowerment to choose, to make the right choices. And we thank you, Lord, for that. What a loving God. Um, and we just we just bless you today. We just love you and we just pray um, that the, the teachings that you've been giving us in relational care, that Lord, that they are not just for this time, but Lord, as we begin to go out, that we begin to have our minds renewed in terms of relational care, that we begin to have a, a caring and compassion for those in our sphere of influence, that Father, we learn how to be those that can speak grace and truth, that Lord, we are those that can give mercy, that can give forgiveness. Lord, that we can be the children of God that you have called us to be. And we thank you for our spirit, who that for your spirit that empowers us in all these things, because it's to you and through you and for you that are all things created. And we love you more than words can say. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. We'll see you guys next week.